to our podcast Dura Lex Sid Lex meaning the law is hard but it is the law Emerging from the depths of law this podcast aims to focus on a variety of themes relevant to international relations international and european law and many other topics that we'll explore together along the way During this season Alisa Poenaru and Analisi Shara <laughs> We'll interview a wide range of Groningen's law professors, drawing the spotlight towards current and intriguing research projects, as well as many other hot topics. Season one will primarily focus on many different topics of law. So, um, among others, we will discuss. Um, the topic of Poland for example like did Poland fail the EU or that um, the EU failed Poland we will discuss law within a digital society we will also be hopefully discussing the EU accession to the ECHR and also an introduction to international relations but today we will be starting with an introduction to EU law where it all began so let's dive together into the world of law with Duralex Sedlex So the EU traces its origins to the ECSC and the European Economic Community, established respectively by the Treaty of Paris and the Treaty of Rome. The European Union and um, its citizenship were actually established through the Maastricht Treaty in 1993, but um, traces its origin back to the European Coal and Steel Community (ECSC) and the European Economic Community (EEC), which was established through the Treaty of Paris and the Treaty of Rome. but actually in 1957 through the Treaty of Rome more member states joined like the six core member states were Belgium, France, Germany or West Germany, Italy, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. And then in 1973 Ireland, Denmark and the UK joined which obviously the UK left again later on. And then in 1981 Greece joined and then Spain and Portugal joined in 1986. Throughout the years of 1992 and 1993, the Treaty of Maastricht established the European Community, and then the European Union was created since Maastricht. So, um, which led to more than just economic integration, and it kind of also led to strengthening social cohesion, um, implementing common foreign and security policies, and working on an international field. Um, and also, most importantly, obviously, the citizenship of the European Union um, that every national of the member state had a right. Um, to travel, live, and vote and work, which obviously has been represented since then by the four freedoms, um, in a way, and it also codified the principles of the European Union and then that they should respect fundamental rights, which are also guaranteed by the ECHR. And yeah, obviously the European Union does much more as well. Besides all of this, they also have diplomatic assistance, social and cultural policies, and also increased um, legislative power for the EU Parliament. And then finally, in 1995, Austria, Finland, and Sweden joined the EU, and by then there was 15 member states in total. Starting with the Treaty of Amsterdam, which was signed in 1999, the EU developed a series of other additional features like enhanced cooperation. It was founded on respect for human rights, democracy, and the rule of law. The European Parliament's powers were further augmented. It promoted a high level of employment, and many other changes. So basically, now we have the Treaty of Lisbon, which is the latest treaty that has been signed. But until then, we also had the Treaty of Amsterdam and the Treaty of Maastricht and the Treaty of Nice. And throughout the years 1995 and 2013, a lot of member states joined, making it 
27 member states now since Brexit. Namely, Cyprus, Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Malta, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Bulgaria, Romania, and lastly, its newest member, Croatia. But obviously, Brexit happened in 2016. <laughs> well, actually, like it, the referendum was in 2016, so like yeah, 2020-ish. Yeah, early 2020. Yeah, true. Yeah. So rip. <laughs> no. That's the wrong one. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about direct effect and supremacy. These are two of the most important and fundamental principles of EU law, and they were established within the two cases of Van Gend and Loos and Costa VNL, uh, where Van Gend and Loos um, laid down direct effect and Costa VNL established supremacy of EU law over national law. Okay, so let's get started with the first case, Van Hindenloos. It's a Dutch case uh, about a postal and transportation company which imported goods from West Germany to the Netherlands. If you manage to spot the Van Hindenloos sign in Groningen at the Fismarkt, um, you should really tag us in it, and you know, maybe you'll get a repost. Who knows? So our Instagram is Pod, One word: Pod. What happened in this case is that the Dutch authorities imposed a tariff on the import of goods from West Germany to the Netherlands. So the Van Hindenloos company objected to the customs tariff as the provision, which is now Article 30 TFEU, states that there should be no custom tariffs between member states of the then economic community. The Dutch authorities made a request for preliminary ruling to the European Court of Justice, asking whether the European Articles conferred rights on nationals and therefore could be enforced in national courts. This established the direct effect of EU law. So, stemming from Manchenden laws, direct effect means that rights are directly enforceable by individuals before national courts and thus guaranteeing their rights. So, in order for this to apply, the treaty provision in question needs to be clear and unconditional not have any reservations and um, cannot have any legislative interpretation necessary. So let's go and dive into um, the topic of supremacy of EU law over national law with the case of Costa VNL. What happened in Costa VNL is that Mr. Costa, an Italian citizen who owned shares in an electricity company, was opposed to the nationalization of the electricity sector in Italy. He argued that nationalization of the electricity industry violated a European treaty and the Italian constitution. So he referred this to the Italian constitutional court, which basically answered that the Italian constitution allowed for the limitation of sovereignty for international organizations like the EEC, now European Union. It also provided that, according to the Lex Posterior rule, when two statutes conflict, the subsequent one prevails. Therefore, the electricity nationalization law prevailed as it was enacted later than the European treaty. So within Costa VNL, the question which was posed before the court was if a more recent piece of national legislation can actually prevail over an older community law provision. So would Lex Posterior apply? So before 1964, the view prevailed, especially within the member states, that the rank of community law within the member states' legal orders very much depended on the rules of national law. So in Costa VNL, the Court of Justice ruled that community law will always prevail over national law, which is nowadays referred to as the principle of supremacy. The EEC treaties, which is now known as the, like, the EU treaties, 
has created its own legal system. So therefore, the treaties enter into force and they become integral parts of the national legal system of the member states. But also, as the treaties enter into force, they become an integral part of not only the national legal system of the member states themselves, but also become an integral part of the whole EU community. So these are obviously very different to ordinary international treaties as national courts are bound to apply EU treaties in their judgments. And EU law binds both the member states and their nationals as well as binds the member states to the union because they conferred their sovereignty to the union. So one of the institutions of the European Union is the Court of Justice of the European Union, which uh, was established in 1952 and is located in Luxembourg. Its role is ensuring that EU law is interpreted and applied in the same manner in all of the member states and ensuring that countries and EU institutions abide by European law. It can settle legal disputes between national governments and EU institutions, and in certain circumstances, it can be used by individuals, companies, or organizations, meaning private parties, to take action against an EU institution if they feel it has somehow infringed upon their rights. Its presiding judges are from each country of the European Union. But what does CJEU mean, Court of Justice of the European Union? No, I. this is like a rhetoric question. Oh, <laughs> I think you're answering, I think you're answering me. But what does the CJEU do? What kinds of cases does it settle? Well, it settles cases concerning the interpretation of the law, the enforcement of the law, annulment of the law, and it also ensures that the EU takes action while also sanctioning EU institutions. You might wonder, what is the difference between the Court of Justice of the European Union and the European Court of Human Rights? These are actually two different bodies. The first difference is that they weren't created by the same organizations. Court of Justice of the European Union is obviously part of the EU and it was established by the European treaties, while the European Court of Human Rights is part of the Council of Europe, being the enforcement mechanism of the European Convention of Human Rights. Another difference among these two is that they don't rule on the same issues. While the Court of Justice of the EU can sometimes rule on human rights infringements, the European Court of Human Rights focuses on this entirely. It mainly concerns states' failures to implement the European Convention of Human Rights. The third difference is that it doesn't concern the same actors. The CJEU concerns private parties against each other or against member states. And institutions can also be involved in the proceedings. The European Court of Human Rights always consists of private parties versus the member state that has infringed upon their human rights. The last notable distinction concerns the number of members of each organization. For example, the EU has 27 member states as of now, while the Council of Europe consists of 47 member states, including all of EU and also other states like Russia, Turkey, Moldova, etc. The main reason why there are more member states in the Council of Europe than in the EU is that there are stricter requirements in the EU. Such requirements imply the application of EU treaties, economic requirements, geographical factors also play an important role, upholding human rights, and maybe the most important part of all is giving up state sovereignty, which requires that EU laws are directly applicable and national provisions have to set aside in cases of conflict. Basically, there are separate entities which perform different yet complementary roles. But what about EU membership and ECHR membership? 
Accession of individual EU member states to the Council of Europe is a legal obligation according to the EU. Therefore, in order to become a part of the EU, you need to also become a part of the Council of Europe. However, the EU is not part of the Council of Europe in itself. The accession of the entire EU to the European Convention of Human Rights means that the Union will be joining as a separate single entity. This is theoretically required by Article 59, Paragraph 2 of the TEU, one of the treaties establishing the European Union. However, to this date, this still has not happened. When it will, it will be a landmark in European legal history because it will make it possible for EU legislation to be challenged against the ECHR. But you can stay tuned with this because we're hopefully going to have a whole separate episode on EU accession to the ECHR, so stay tuned for that. Okay, so lastly, you might wonder, okay, this is all nice and well, but how does EU law actually affect me personally in um, my day-to-day life? So... Interestingly, EU law affects us in many different ways each day. So, for example, we um, are able to freely travel every single day wherever we want within the Union without needing a permit or um, a visa or yeah, some sort of like residency card um, yeah, at any given time point. So wherever, like if you ever feel like flying to Italy tomorrow, you can do that without anyone questioning it. You can book your flight and off you go. Um, moreover, we also have the EHIC card, European Health Insurance Card, um, which gives you access to universal free healthcare in emergency situations, um, which is primarily intended for individuals who are insured through the state of their country of origin. So, for example, um, if you come from Germany, um, you can be insured through the state, like publicly insured. And then if you go abroad, you can apply for an EHIC card through your insurance and it will cover you abroad in um, any respective member state for any sort of um, emergency situations. Also, lastly, probably the most, yeah, the most important one for me anyway, and most of the people I know, is that um, import and export costs within the union don't really exist. So um, this obviously allows you to buy anything off the internet or through the phone, which obviously nowadays doesn't happen anymore, but... You can buy anything on the internet um, and don't have to pay any import costs for that, um, besides shipping fees, obviously. But um, it also allows like the free movement of goods. It's um, a specific law, um, like a specific provision. Yeah, it's one of the four freedoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it upholds that. And I think that's pretty cool, to be honest, because whenever you order something from outside of the EU, you're hit with like, big import costs and same for export costs as well it makes it easier for bigger um bigger companies within the european union to like sell and import their goods as well so that's pretty great um but yeah um this was our podcast episode for today um hopefully this goes online on sunday the 20 yeah the 20th right yeah yeah hopefully this this goes online this sunday so um this is our first podcast episode and we hope that you are gonna enjoy it um we're gonna hopefully be able to upload um weekly or bi-weekly we haven't really decided that yet but um once we do we're gonna post uh, on our socials or or one social media account which is instagram um at duralex sedlex pod one word um, but yeah, check us out. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast episode and give us a rating on Spotify because I know you can do that now. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week, hopefully. 
Yeah, and don't forget if you ever want to reach out, we have a lot of things coming up. You can comment. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and if you have any um, any topics that you feel like should be discussed and that we haven't mentioned so far, yeah, uh, any something suggestions that you whatsoever. find interesting, yeah, let us know. Send us a DM or something, and we'll we'll hopefully get back to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.